Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined as always by Jacob. Hello. And today we're going to be reviewing 10 Minutes to Kill. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so first off, we'd just like to thank anyone who actually tuned in to our Pandemic Legacy livestream. Absolutely. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun to do. And though it did turn out to be 16 hours, it was satisfying at the end. It was really great at the end. We definitely wanted to kill each other at a few points, the low points, certainly. But, you know, we got some food. We we sort of reset. And also, simultaneously, things started to get better for yeah, us. Exactly. But we, we stuck it out, and it was a blast. I'm so glad that we had a chance to do that. And I'm so glad to everyone who, who tuned in and watched us play and commented on our video. Thank you so much for sticking with us if you stayed with us the whole time or for tuning in at all if you didn't. Yeah, exactly. And I have to say, I was very impressed with the story. Of yeah, Legacy. it was good. Well, it's so funny because in the personal game that we played, yeah. we're going to be entering into spoiler territory here. In the personal game that we played, we stopped during the same month that we, in this game, found out that we had been betrayed and that the people we were working for were the ones who had engineered the virus in the first place. Like, how crazy is that? We were like this close to figuring out what it was, but then we didn't. So yeah. I had this completely different idea about what the game was and the direction we were headed. And then it just took a complete 180, yeah. you know, there in the middle of the stream. So that was that was a blast. And it was really, I think, well-designed from a story perspective. Yeah, I completely agree. The story was great. And at the very end, when we finally finished it, it was one of those, like, we did it. Yes. Satisfaction. Absolutely. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm still working on the video, so you can see parts of it right now up on YouTube on our on our channel and all that, but I'm going to work to try to get some of the highlights put into a short five-minute video, so hopefully that'll be done pretty quickly, Yeah, and uh, you should definitely check our YouTube channel for that when it's up. Please do, if for no other reason than so that you can understand every time we drop a reference to the, the Colonel. Colonel. And yes, we did salute, even we, though you cannot see it. Yeah, yeah. please check out that video once it's up so you can get that reference and any of the other references that we make from that uh, fantastic session with us. And also, of course, our friend Will, who's such a good sport uh, and a great guy. Yep. Yeah, so that's one of the things that we've been playing. Another one, we actually just finished the game of City of Iron. Yeah, and uh, this is one, you said you've owned it for over a year now. No, actually, yeah, definitely, definitely over a year. Right, because it's the yeah. second edition, and I know you backed the Kickstarter, yep. and then it finally came out, and you weren't ever able to play it. Yeah. Like, we've, we've played so many of his other games. It's a Ryan Lacott game, Red Raven. So, you know, we've played Islebound, and we've played Above and Below a whole bunch, and we're getting ready to to you know sign up for empires of the void 2 and all those other kickstarters that are coming down the pipeline but we hadn't gotten around to playing this one so yeah. that was that was good you know had a lot of similarities to his other games in terms of population management in terms of really a diversity of goods mm -hmm. being one of the primary drivers for points yeah. but there was enough of a difference that you know it still felt unique and i i really enjoyed this one actually this could be well on its way to becoming one of my favorites i agree and one of the interesting things is actually that this this one does not have one of the signature things that he has in most of his games the dice there's no dice yeah this is very much a strategy game the only luck is really to be derived from the deck of cards that you can buy pretty much 
that's just about the only luck because you actually do get to almost choose what order your uh, people come through the deck and all that kind of stuff. Right, because each time you know you you recycle your discard pile back into your deck, there is no shuffling. You know they stay in whatever order they're in, which is determined by when and how you use them. So you know as long as you're cognizant of that sort of thing, it can be pure strategy and pretty much no luck at all, which yeah. is is pretty great. Yeah, it, it's really enjoyable game. I, I really liked it and definitely a very very interesting idea and different than his other games but in a very good way Mm -hmm. absolutely i also had a chance a couple weeks ago now on uh, international tabletop day to play not dice at labyrinth when we went down there to to celebrate with um actually the designer of that game matthew o'malley who was a really cool guy he was you know just a blast to play with really friendly and I didn't realize it at the time until he mentioned one of the game styles, and I kind of thought to myself, oh, wow, you know, that's very similar to Between Two Cities. I didn't realize he was actually the co-designer of Between Two Cities. So that was a lot of fun. Not dice for people who don't know. You've got standard six-sided dice, but instead of having, you know, pits for the faces representing one through six, they form a Celtic knot. And each face has a different, you know, some have corners, some have centerpieces, some have sides. And when you play with the dice, you can play one of, you know, 10 or 12 different games that are presented in the rulebook that comes with the the dice. And you put them into different patterns. You can play cooperatively, competitively. There are also just not even games, but puzzles that you can play with the dice. So it's really almost more of like a platform than a game itself and you can just play different games with these dice and they're really great the the dice are well designed the games are well thought out and simple enough to teach but also compelling enough to to keep you at the table exactly and this is almost something that you can even keep on your desk at work yeah definitely i mean this is just something you play around with you know you have like the five minutes or you need something in your hands boom roll some dice but make some celtic knots and you know there you go uh, so it's it's a fun game. I own it myself, and I really, really do enjoy it. Other than that, I believe that you have had a D&D session. Recently. I did. I had a chance to run a D&D game for the first time in quite a while, actually. It's been whew, about three years, maybe four, since I have had a chance to DM. And so I got to flex those muscles again, which was really cool. We were playing with one person who had never played before, and basically any RPG. Um, one person who had played some RPGs, but this was only her second time playing D&D, another person who was in a pretty similar boat, and then a couple of more veteran players. So it was a good mix, and I think everybody had a, a lot of fun. We, um, The scenario that I designed was much more of an investigation-type situation rather than a dungeon delve or you know a battlefield scenario. So there was only one combat in the entire... I think the session lasted six hours. And, you know, it still it still felt, at least from my perspective, like they were enjoying it. They followed the clues and did a lot of the investigation, perception, you know, persuasion, intimidate, those sorts of roles. And eventually worked out, you know, who had committed the crime and brought that person to justice. So it was, it was great, you know, and the people seemed to really enjoy the characters. I think there's a possibility that we'll be returning to them. I had intended for this to be uh, sort of a one-shot just so that some of our friends who hadn't had as much experience with RPGs had a chance to play. But we'll, we'll see where it, where it takes us if people feel like the characters are compelling and want to return to them. 
Exactly. And I know that if, if that happens, there's a possibility that I'll be helping you code GM for this. Yeah. Event. Yeah. You definitely, I pinged some ideas off of you during the sort of designing phase, uh, just about, you know, plot, about setting. So that was actually really helpful for me because I, I have certain strengths as a, a GM and I feel like so does everybody and your mm-hmm. strengths aren't necessarily the same as mine. So that gives yeah. us, the, you know, more coverage and we almost have like complementary strength, I think. Like, I think I would agree. Yeah, you're you're good at encounter building and like doing that kind of stuff, and like a lot of the small scale planning. I'm I love improv. Like, yeah, that, that see, is my I, like, strong improv point. is rough for me just because I never feel like I have not even control. It's not control that I want. It's just like knowledge. Mm. There were so many times during the session where I just made things up on the fly because you know I'm not super familiar we were playing fifth edition yeah i'm not very familiar with that system either so people were like oh what happens on this role or how does this interaction work you know can mm-hmm. i use this role here and i was like uh yeah that sounds fine you know basically my rule was if they could justify mm-hmm. whatever it was then i was going to give it to them so you know it's it's a sort of a precarious position for me to be in because i feel like i'm supposed to be guiding these people and yet i know barely more than they do so any improvisation that comes up in terms of plot or encounter design just throws a wrench in those gears even yeah. more and weirds me out so plus i can i can finally stretch my muscles like sirenscape or something like that that like add some music add some right. sound effects and that kind right. of stuff because then you don't have to have five hands to pull all that stuff off five hands and two brains and like you know everything else so yeah definitely uh, but yeah, so that was me. And then, did you have a chance to get to table as well? I did not. I did not. Unfortunately, uh, because of finals, everyone was extremely right. busy. Yeah. And now it's going to be interesting because some of our players have gone home. So there's that. Will uh, you be transitioning to either Skype or Roll Twenty or a digital we, platform? We, we will be doing. Actually, it's only one of our players currently is not going to be around. Okay. So we're going to be skyping her in. So well, that's not too bad. As soon as the DM for that game, Pedro, he's going to be moving into this apartment and uh, we'll probably be actually doing it here, possibly live, live streaming it, but we'll see. That'll be super convenient. Yeah. So yeah, looking forward to that. But yeah, that has been a look at what we've been playing. And now let's start the timer on our review of 10 Minutes to Kill. If you're quick, you can get two games done by the time we are. Yeah, so 10 Minutes to Kill, as the name implies, is an extremely quick game in which you play an assassin with three targets. It's a tile-based game, and you spend each turn moving characters around in total secrecy. You can move any character, whether or not it's your assassin, whether or not it's one of your targets, whether or not it's one of the police officers who shows up later in the game. You move players around, you can kill people in a couple of different ways, and there's a couple of different ways to score points. The easiest way, of course, is to kill your targets, but there's also a couple of other different ways that we will get to in more detail. Yeah, so let's start with setting up the game. You set up the game by putting out these city tiles, and the way you can do it is just pretty much they're supposed to be put out randomly. And... This can be done many different ways. What we usually do is we let each person like put one out and you just keep going around until all of them are out. And then you get a cool, weirdly shaped city that has spots in random places. And when you have it all out, you then randomly distribute all of the actual standees with the characters in them all over the city. There's one per tile and uh, they just have to be random. You don't even know who you are yet. 
Right. Then you get dealt out the character tiles, which the first one is you, who you are, and then the other three are your targets. Then first player goes and they get two actions. The actions can be to move. So you can move any one character to any other square in the entire city for one action. So it doesn't matter who it is, what it is, anything like that. You just take it from one square and put it into another square. It could be across the entire city, could be right next door, whatever you like. Another action can be to kill, right. and killing happens in a few ways. Yeah, so this is actually one of the key drivers of strategy in the game. You have essentially three different weapons that you can use to kill. You have your knife, which can be used on the tile that your target is on, and it's the only weapon that can be used while you're sharing a, t a tile with other standees. The other two weapons are the gun, the handgun, I suppose, and the sniper rifle neither of which can be fired if you are not alone on your tile. So knifing someone, the only way to get down and dirty if you've got other people in close around you. The advantage of the handgun is that it can be used from an adjacent tile. So say, you know, your target's in prime position, you can move your own assassin into position but not be so obvious as to put them on the same tile in order to get a handgun kill, as long as no one is also on your tile. And then finally, the sniper rifle, about 4060, the tiles have a sort of blue border with a, a scope symbol on them. This means that you can use the sniper rifle from that tile. And when you use a sniper rifle for a kill, it means that you can fire into any square that is orthogonally in line with that tile that you're currently on. So say you have a roughly 5x5 five five grid of tiles. If there's a sniper spot right in the center, you can fire two tiles straight in any direction in order to get the kill. So this opens up even more opportunities because you can pick someone off from a place that no one's even remotely suspecting. No one would think to guess that it's you, but you're still safe. Exactly. Now, when you kill someone, something else happens, which is that not only do you get the points if you killed one of your targets, but a police officer arrives on the scene. Right. Now, this adds another complication to the game. First off, no crime can be committed in the tile that the police officer is on, nor can anything be committed in the tiles adjacent to the police officer. Right. Now, this does mean that knives are off the field. So even if you could otherwise normally use a knife because other people are on your tile, if a police officer is there, it can't. But importantly... It only applies to the tile where the attack originates from. If my target is next to a police officer, but I'm three tiles away, safely using a, sh a sniper rifle, or even if I'm just one tile past my target using a handgun, the police officer doesn't prevent the attack. So you can get around it, but it's still going to put a lot of sort of difficult space into the mix. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing is that this also adds a few actions that you can do. So, first of all, you can move the police officer just like you would any other standee. Right. But you can also try to arrest people with the police officer. Now, arresting, what that means is that you are saying that, oh, this standee in here is this other player. And so, you know, if you're right, that person is arrested, they can no longer kill anyone. And you also get a point for arresting someone. So... You know, this adds another thing that, you know, if you know exactly like who the other player is, you can also arrest them. 
thing is that you can also kill them if you want to. You can. And this is worth three points. So if you kill another player, it's actually really good for you anyway, point-wise. Right. The problem is, unlike investigating and arresting, which has no negative consequences if you're wrong, if you kill an innocent bystander, someone who is neither one of your targets nor an enemy assassin, you actually lose one point. So with investigation, you have a little bit of wiggle room. You can be like, okay, I messed up, I wasted an action, boo-hoo. If you shoot somebody and that somebody is not one of your opponents, you're probably not going to be winning this game. Exactly, because this game usually goes up to, in my experience anyway, three points is usually the, the like top, maybe four, if someone's lucky and both arrests and kills the rest of their people. Yeah. So it's a very low point scoring game. But that means that the one negative point for killing an innocent bystander is actually really tough. Right. So, so once you've arrested someone, interestingly, they're actually not out of the game. They can still take actions. The only thing they can't do is assassinate because obviously their assassin is no longer on the field but they can still move potential targets out of the way in an attempt to thwart other assassinations they can move police officers into place and they can even make arrests so they can still very much impact the outcome of the game even though there's not a high chance that they'll win because they have been removed but it's still a possibility it's actually not that low of a chance in general i mean the one of the games that we played today you got me out by an arrest early on, I still ended up winning. Well, we tied. Yes, we tied. Yeah, we, no. we tied that game. Yeah, yeah, we tied. But still, it it's, uh, it's, means that it's not really that difficult to get those extra points. Right. Hey, there was another game that actually came up to a, a, to a coin flip at the very end when I played in Labyrinth. The reason being that I'd killed some, one person and arrested two other people. Okay. So I had three points. Someone else had, I believe, killed me or something along those lines. So they had a big old point. So, so they had a big old thing. And they had three points. Okay. And now it was, and they got arrested immediately after. Hmm. So they didn't have anyone else to kill. And then it was just, you know, I think choosing who that last, who was able to arrest that last person. And he, it was between two people and he chose right. Right. So. Yeah. So that does bring us to how the game ends. The game ends in one of two circumstances. When one player has successfully eliminated all three of their targets, and each time you eliminate one of your targets, you reveal that it was a target so that you gain the points rather than losing the points. Or when all players are killed or arrested. Either of those conditions will trigger the game end. And again, it's strictly down to points. You get points for killing other assassins, killing your own targets, arresting other assassins, and then, of course, you lose points for killing innocent bystanders or killing police officers. You do also get points if your player's hitman is still alive and not arrested at the end of the game. But in the terms of the game, it's not a huge bonus. So it's still totally up in the air. Even if you're the only person left and you've killed all your targets, depending on how the rest of the game broke, who got the assassinations, who got the arrests, it's wide open. Exactly, exactly. And... One thing about the policeman being killed, if you kill the policeman, you lose 1,337 points. So They couldn't help themselves, clearly. Yeah, and pretty much saying, you kill a policeman, you lose. Like, by thousands of points. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's an interesting game mechanic. And one of the cool things about this game is that it's 
probably one of the quickest games that I've played. Oh, absolutely. Like, if you think some games are quick, like, you know, One-Eyed Ultimate Werewolf or Spyfall or a lot of these other games, they are pretty quick games. I don't think a single one of them compares to this. Where This is literally 10 minutes. Yeah, from, from setup to finish, unless you're, you know, playing with some analysis paralysis people like us. Yeah. There's a good chance it's actually literally going to take 10 minutes. Exactly. Like, the, the game can be over in two turns. Yeah. And it's really, really quick and actually really easy to explain to new people. You just show them, you know, boom, boom, boom. You can do this. You can do this. You can't do this. I've I've set this game up, explained it, and then played it in 20 minutes. Yeah. So, really cool. Yeah. There are some complexities regarding when you can use which weapons, what's legal, what's not. And I've, I have noticed that sometimes the fact that you can move any character, not just your own assassin, does throw some people off. But for the most part, it's... It's pretty simple to teach, it's pretty simple to grasp, and it's very, very simple to play. Exactly. But now let's address the elephant in the room. The literal elephant in the room. Though surprisingly, none of the characters are elephants. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that. But you can probably guess, the characters are anthropomorphic animals, and they're done up in a very cartoonish art style. Which, you know, one, given the theme of the game, sort of aggressive, violent, and two, just given sort of the general trend, I feel, of board games towards, you know, grimdark, gritty, high fantasy, like, swash, swash, buckle, buckle type stuff, um, is likely to turn off a lot of gamers. Yeah, it's one of those things that I can see if you, like, look at the cover and just see these things. You can get a little bit turned off by it, which is unfortunate, because... There are actually some intricacies in the art itself that that are pretty cool. Like, every character, it doesn't matter who it is, always has some way in their on their standee to kill someone else. So, like, you yeah. have, like, all these little details. Like, you know, the kangaroo has a pickaxe. The mouse waitress has a stick of dynamite in the milkshake. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are more subtle. Some of them are less subtle. But it's... You know, it's just an attention to detail. And each of the characters are definitely, you know, well-represented. They're absolutely unique. You know, there's... In a game like this where it really relies on being able to identify who your targets are, who you are, at a, you know, just at an instant glance so you can figure out what the best position to put everyone is, there's really something to be said for the quality and the uniqueness of each character's design. Yeah, it makes sense because each one of those is shaped differently. The colors are also different for each of the standees. So where a lot of times for us, you know, we have the gripe about, you know, color blindness and that kind of stuff. There's no way you're mistaking any of these. Like this is a game that's really easy. You can see everyone. You, you can tell that these are different because they are completely different. Yeah, absolutely. And the actual, you know, pieces of the board itself is also pretty nice like, i mean a little bit busy for my taste but at the same time you're not really looking at it that much it's just like the borders of the squares that's sure. all that matters yeah it's just a backdrop and i mean they're they're pretty solid you know sturdy cardboard um so there's definitely nothing lacking in terms of the quality of either the art or the design of the pieces so i guess our advice you know for anyone out there who thinks that they would be interested in the game until they see the box art is just give it a shot anyway. You know, yes. the game is so well designed that I think it more than makes up for it. I completely agree. I think that this is, you know, something worth looking past the artwork if you are not a fan of that. 
if you are a fan of it, all the better. Cool. Right, yeah. But if it's something that you just see the box and you're like, oh man, you know, this is not like the kind of thing that I like and it looks weird and it's just, it's worth it to actually take it out and play it. But as we always say, no game is perfect. That's right. And this one's no exception. The first thing was something that really irked you. There's really no reason that the character tokens or character cards, plaques, whatever they are, need to be cardboard. It just makes them harder to shuffle, harder to dish out. You could absolutely just make those cards. And even if you wanted to keep them sort of that small ratio, then just make them the the sort of travel size. I don't know what the official name for them is, but the small cards. But I mean, inside the box, like with the box that you're already getting, there is more than enough room for regular size cards. Absolutely. Just have them nice linen and uh, linen finished cards. That would be so much nicer, so much easier to shuffle, deal out, everything. I would say 100% that should be a change in the game in future editions. Totally agree. And another one that I'll say, I don't know if this has to be a change, but this is just something to keep aware of. The art style for this, as we mentioned, can turn off some people. I personally don't mind it, but I know like our friendly local gaming store, they were hesitant to have it in until at least like two or three of us asked for it. Yeah, they almost didn't ship it. Yeah, they almost didn't want to do it other than special orders and have it in the, in the, in the store because of the fact that it can turn people off. So if they change this to something a bit more... I don't know, inclusive, friendly to everyone, uh, that might be a good thing for them in the long run. And then one of the things for me, the game is really compelling and it's really simple, but I almost think that it's too simple after a while. You know, once you get comfortable with it, it seems like the sort of thing that would be really great with just a couple of more different game modes. Maybe two assassins share a target. Maybe some people have teams. You know, there's lots of opportunity there for growth, and that's something that I would have loved to see in the base box. Now, I am told that there is an expansion um, that sounds like it brings a lot to bear. New types of targets that are resistant to certain types of weapons and give bonuses, new city tiles, new rules. So, obviously, I can't speak with complete authority until I've checked that out, but it is a game that seems like it would benefit from a couple of more different game modes, even just in the regular box. I agree. I agree. I think that that's definitely a valid point. It would definitely add to the game uh, in any way that they did it. But that all being said, what do you think of the game? At the end of the day, I think I'm going to give it a play it, especially because it is so quick. I think it's the perfect sort of game for you to pick up and play, again, at your friendly local game store. You know, that's where you first played it. That's where I first played it. It's just so fast. You say, hey, you want to come over and play a game with me for literally 10 minutes? And there's a good chance that after you finish your first game, whoever you you know, brought over with you, they're going to want to keep playing. So I say play it. I don't think that it's worth the investment. You know, It's not something that I feel like I need for my board game collection, but it is a great game, well worth the play. That's definitely a valid point. I'm actually going to go for a buy it because it is so small, so quick, so versatile. It's the kind of game that even the last week when I was at Gamers, some people went off to go to the convenience store to grab some food and they were just going to be there for, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes to go there and back. 
I sat down and played the one round of this game with some people. It's really nice, really quick, and even in the base game, I think that there is quite a bit of variability just because of the different people that you're playing with and the different setups and everything like that. So, you know, I, I definitely think it's a good game, and I have to get my hands on the expansion because I think it sounds like a lot of fun. But even for the base game, I say buy it. Well, there you go. Before we go, real quick, let's talk about a couple of games that we feel like are very similar to this that you might enjoy playing if you liked this or vice versa. First up is Nuns on the Run. This is another game that's all based about the positioning of your various characters. In this one, there is even slightly less information. Uh, In Nuns on the Run, you can't see anyone, basically, at any time. You don't know where anyone is. You sort of have to triangulate that information in order to interfere with them. Obviously, it's got some lighter flavor. You're not killing anyone in Nuns on the Run. But if you like that sort of spatial element and interfering with other people's plans, definitely worth checking out. Definitely. And then another one would be Mr. Jack and Mr. Jack Pocket. These are only two-player games, but they also have that same kind of element where you're trying to find the other person. So in Mr. Jack and Mr. Jack Pocket, one player plays as Mr. Jack, Jack the Ripper, The other one plays as Sherlock Holmes and his accomplices trying to figure out who Jack the Ripper is. You're moving around a grid, you're moving things around, you're trying to strategically make it so that it's possible that you are the largest number of people to show, you know, to eliminate as few as possible from the, from the detectives. So similar way as in 10 Minutes to Kill, you're trying to, you know, not show that you are this one person because that's literally the only person who could kill them. You're trying to show, oh, it could have been these five. So it has a very similar feel. It's a two-player game, and it is a lot of fun. Absolutely. And then finally, a game called Noir takes a lot of these same sorts of elements with the, um, you know, you have a character, you have your targets, and sort of deception, bluffing, player elimination style of game, but scales it up. It's a actually a party game with a couple of different modes based on how many players you have at the table. So you can play, I believe, anywhere from three to ten players. The one game mode that I played involved a situation very, very similar to 10 Minutes to Kill, where you've got a grid and you can alternatively move your characters around or assassinate the person next to you. And it's all about trying to make sure that you set up a situation where you could be multiple people so that you don't give away more information than you absolutely have to. If you like the concept, if you want to scale it up, play it with more people at the table, definitely check out Noir. And there you have it. That's our review of 10 Minutes to Kill. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to check out Con because that is coming up September 10th and 11th. It's going to so. be amazing! going to be a lot of fun we're going to be there there's going to be a lot of board games a lot of really cool people and in general just a weekend of board gaming goodness and a lot of nerdery so if you want to check it out come hang out with us come check out with all uh, all the other cool designers we highly recommend checking it out getting tickets ahead of time and uh, if you get them on the website they're going to be cheaper than out the door for sure so just head on over there it's linked in our podcast so uh, check it out and be sure to buy tickets and be sure to join us next week for our review of role player